Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the Logical Christian Podcast. I'm your Logical Christian, Dan Irwin. If you've joined me before, welcome back. If this is your first time here, welcome. At the Logical Christian Podcast, we look at what's going on in the world of current events, politics, science, and whatever the mainstream media feels is important to tell us, but rather than just accepting their spin and swallowing their narrative, we look at it logically, and we look at it as Christians. Links can be found in the show notes if you want to follow along. So with that, let's go be logical Christians. I think we've all known someone that just doesn't seem to be on the same planet as the rest of us normies, right? They had some wild ideas, they didn't seem to understand the concept of logic or common sense, they just didn't fit in. Would it shock you to know that if you're listening to this podcast, you're very likely at least considered to be that person now? No, you didn't change. You're still the same wonderful, beautiful, intelligent person that looks at the world through wide-open eyes and thinks and reasons clearly. Sure, you don't get everything right, but you're aware of that, and you strive to be correct and correct your mistakes. So if it's not you that's changed, then... uh... On today's episode, first we'll choose poorly, then we'll grow some humans, and finally we'll start our look at how the other, hopefully at least slightly less than half, lives. So get out that eraser, fill your watering can with some hot acid water, and hold on tight, because believe it or not, here we go. Well, this is a couple weeks old, but this is a great example of how stupid are we? It turns out pretty, pretty stupid. Now look, I know that some people have a problem with using the word stupid, but that's just dumb. I mean, sometimes stupid is the best way to describe something. Okay. So unless you've been the victim, or looking around me, I don't know, winner of some sort of an alien abduction over the last few months, you know that there was a little court case decided on 6-24-22 that overturned the totally constitutional despite the fact that it's not in the Constitution anywhere in any form and ever has been, previous decision called Roe versus Wade. This decision, per the mainstream corporate government media, forces women and girls of all ages to become pregnant and deliver, care for, raise, and provide for that baby with no money, no job, no help, nothing. And then immediately after they give birth, this ruling forces them under penalty of something to become impregnated yet again. And the cycle continues until she dies. Now, for the rest of us, the shrinking minority with the ability to use the gray matter, the squishy, wrinkled lump in our skulls to actually read, learn, reason, and understand things, this ruling gives the appearance that what it did is overturn a poorly decided ruling, forcing all states to offer (coughs) safe, legal, and rare abortions to all women up through the first trimester. Yes, that's what Roe was supposed to legalize. (laughs) Oh, how far down that slippery slope we've slid. And push the decision back to each of the states to determine how much baby murder they'd like to be culpable for when passing into eternity. The argument by those of us that want abortion to be illegalized in all cases, and I'd argue that legitimate life of the mother changes the argument into a legitimate medical decision, but for those of us that would like the inner child to not be brutally slaughtered, the core of our argument is that the baby is a human. And being a human is not only a partaker and recipient of the guarantee stated in the Declaration of Independence of Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Happiness, 
But for those of us of the Christian faith, that child is also an image bearer of God, a precious life. So, that being said, in every single way possible, that we can promote the reality that the forming baby is, in fact, an actual human life, we should do that. Right? Well, found on NBCNews.com, headline, A Pregnant Texas Woman who claimed her unborn baby counts as a passenger in the HOV lane, is ticketed again. Okay, so HOV, or High Occupancy Vehicle Lanes, are just ridiculous anyway. The definition of high occupancy is more than one. Now, to me, that's not high occupancy. I'd have to get to like a minimum of, I don't know, four But that's the thing. Your definition of high occupancy and mine are going to be different. So this is just a more than one person in a vehicle lane. The first HOV lane was actually a bus-only lane in Virginia in 1969 on the Henry G. Shirley Memorial Highway between Washington, D.C. and the Capitol Beltway. In 1973, they expanded the use to vehicles carrying four or more people. See? I was right. Due to the gas shortages and the desire to improve air quality, the thought process was to promote carpooling, which in some cases could dramatically reduce travel time while saving the carpoolers money in gas and normal vehicle maintenance costs. Now, in general, I guess I don't have a problem with HOV lanes. Whatever, they are what they are. So, very basically, this story involves a Texas woman, a mom to at least an unborn human at the time, not sure if she has any other kids, who five days after the overturning of Roe was pulled over in the HOV lane for driving as a single person in said lane. Her argument, she's not one person, she's two people, since the baby now counts as a human. So look, I don't know her religious or political views or if she's pro-Roe or not, but from the way this is phrased, it at least makes it sound like she's a pro-Roe type of person and just trying to make a point of how silly it is to call an unborn baby a human. That may just be the slant that NBC News puts on the story, but I find it curious that she did this less than a week after the overturning of Roe. It seems very trying to make a pointish to me. Regardless, the first citation was dismissed as the judge accepted her defense. She was then stopped again on August 3rd by the by the same cop, we'll call him Officer Needs Something Better to Do. Well, he pulled her over and upon walking up to her car said, you again? And then asked when she was going to have that baby, at least she claims this, and she responded with tomorrow, to which Officer NSBTD responded with good luck, then gave her another citation. Now, I have no doubt that this will be dismissed as well. I'm just not sure if she's gone to court with it yet or not. So this is where I come down to, we're just stupid. Shouldn't those of us on the correct side of the argument, you know, that the human baby is a human baby regardless of its location, be doing absolutely everything possible to promote the position that the baby is a human being worthy of life? Greg Abbott, the governor of Texas, should be convening the legislature with the express purpose of crafting an amendment to the HOV lane laws to allow pregnant women the use of the HOV lane, since they are two people. Note, not pregnant men, as men aren't capable of pregnancy. Just to be clear. 
Those of us on the side of life are generally people on the right side of the political spectrum and generally are people of faith. And we need to be unwaveringly on the side of real science and must be consistently consistent. So let me throw some scenarios out there that we must be consistent about. If this woman was in a car accident while in the HOV lane on the way to the hospital to be induced and the unborn baby died as a result, would that be counted in the traffic accident death statistics or not? If she also died in that accident, would that be two traffic accident related fatalities? Same scenario, both died, but she was on her way to the abortion clinic rather than the delivery room. Would that be one or two deaths? If a pregnant woman is gunned down in the street and neither the unborn child nor the mom survived, would that be one or two homicides? Or does it depend on if she was planning on keeping or aborting the baby? See, we need to be consistent. Like, I'd be fine with a pregnant woman being allowed to claim an unborn child on her taxes. That, of course, would be with the caveat that if the woman then were to abort her child, she would be liable to repay the refund amount plus interest. But why should we wait until the baby is born to say there's another human there? And you can come up with probably endless scenarios, I'm sure. Now, I've covered the topic of abortion before, the reality that an unborn baby is an actual human and that we should not be killing children pre- or post-birth. You can go back and listen to a variety of past episodes on that. I will reiterate this, though, as you and I should really have this committed to memory. When confronted by someone who believes abortion should be legal, we need to remember the SLED argument. SLED, S-L-E-D. S, size. A human being smaller than other humans doesn't make it less human. L, level of development. A human with less knowledge or abilities or that's not as physically developed is not less human than others. E, environment. The location of a human doesn't make it more or less human. D, degree of dependency. A human that requires a level of assistance greater than another doesn't make him or her less human. That said, what I want to briefly cover is consistency. As Christians, we are called to be consistent. In fact, I'd maintain that we're not only called to be consistent, but we're created to be consistent. As we are created in the image of God, and knowing that God is spirit, so clearly we can't be created in the physical form of God, as God is not a physical being, that must mean that we are created as God is. His logic, his emotion, his character. Now, due to sin, we're a very imperfect image bearer of God but an image bearer just the same. So we find in the Bible that God is a consistent God. Malachi 3.6 says, For I, the Lord, do not change. James 1.17 says, Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Numbers 23.19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. He has said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? And then Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And for us, we're told in Matthew 5.37, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Now, this is stated by Jesus regarding the taking of oaths. Rather than making promises, just do it or don't do it, 
But this again is consistency. And I would say either a baby is a human or it's not. Yes or no. And stick with it. A human is not open for interpretation. Either a human is a human or it's not. Furthermore, when looking at this logically, if you discount the National Enquirer reports of, you know, wolfman babies or half-fish, half-man creatures, the reality is that there isn't one documented instance where anything but a human popped out of a pregnant woman. And until someone can show me that the outcome of a pregnancy is random chance, you know, could be a blender, a Mazda, a baby, or a dinosaur— I've got to kind of believe that since it's a human that comes out, it's probably a human while it's in there. So, we should be petitioning our local governments, cities, states, whatever, to change any and every law to make it so that whatever would benefit a woman with a post-birth baby would also benefit a woman with a pre-birth baby. Additionally, we should be overreacting to this. We should be looking for any and every way possible to ingrain in society the reality that a forming baby is a human. Now, it sounds silly to those of us that simply know that from conception, a baby is a unique human, worthy of life, but to a lot of the population, they've been indoctrinated for so long and it's been done so well that they literally don't understand that a baby is a human. Crazy, I know. Crazy, but true. We should never in any way discourage anything that would cause anyone to think that a baby is less than human. That would be the stupid thing to do. So, let's be proactive. Let's ensure the world knows at least as much as Horton the Elephant did in that time when he heard a who, that a person's a person, no matter how small. A long time ago, and far, far away, an old woman was sitting in her rocking chair thinking how happy she would be if she had a child. Then she heard a knock at the door and opened it. A lady was standing there, and she said, If you let me in, I will grant you a wish. The old woman let the woman in, firstly, because she felt pity, secondly, because she knew what she'd wish for, a child. After she washed the lady up and fed her, she saw that she was really beautiful. The lady slept soundly all night long, and then right before she left, she said, Now, about your wish, what do you want? The lady thought about most people's wishes to be richest in the world, most powerful person, the smartest and the prettiest. But the old woman wished for something the lady could not believe. She said, I would like a child. What did you say? she asked, because she was astonished at what the old lady asked for. The old lady repeated what she said, I would like a child. The lady then placed a tiny seed in the old woman's hand and gave her instructions. Plant this seed, water it carefully, watch over it, and give it your love. If you do all those things, then you will have a child. So the old woman did all of those things the lady had told her to. In a week, there was a beautiful yellow flower in place of the seed. The next day, the flower bloomed. Inside the flower was a beautiful little girl who was the size of the woman's thumb. So she called her Thumbelina. Found on Fizz.org, headline, The First Stages of DNA Evolution. The story, or if you're a modern-day scientist, the documentary of Thumbelina is, if I've done my sums right, infinitely more possible and plausible and believable than the woven tale that's about to be unraveled before your very eyes. At least with the story of Thumbelina, 
there were intelligent beings already in existence. One of those beings had a certain amount of creative power, and Thumbelina came from a seed, which technically is a thing that brings forth life. What you're about to hear from a legitimate, claiming to be a science website, is more of a fantasy, a larger fairy tale than the story of Thumbelina. So let's dive in, shall we? The article starts with the premise, quote, One fundamental question in the field of the origin of life is how the first molecules of DNA replicated and evolved on the primordial Earth more than four billion years ago. And you can already see that we're weaving an unprovable fantasy. First, four billion years is set up using circumstantial evidence and the concept that everything today is how everything has always been, or uniformitarianism. The author is starting by claiming facts. Life started four billion years ago. Life started as molecules of DNA that replicated, that replication fueled DNA. By claiming this as fact, it primes the reader's mind to accept what comes next in this short article. He then claims the following. Before cells, quote, DNA and RNA molecules were likely read that as we imagine, dissolved into water ponds or into pores of rock filled with water and gas. He claims that we know that four billion years ago, Earth was actively volcanic, was very warm, and had an atmosphere with high concentrations of CO2. In fact, he knows that the CO2 level was about 25,000 times what it is today. Now, Since these are absolute knowns, Professor Dieter Braun is leading a research group at Ludwig Maximilian University at Munich at the Faculty of Physics to recreate artificial thermal traps to recreate this gassy rock water. And here's how it happened. (laughs) Trust me, I too am a scientist. You can take this to the bank. There were rocks, right? Like volcanic rocks with small pores. And inside those pores, we had water. Now, due to temperature differences, water cycles happen inside the pores. The water evaporates and condenses, creating dew droplets that acidify in the CO2-rich atmosphere. Those droplets acted as a kind of cell before cells formed to trap and concentrate DNA. Because of the evaporation and condensation cycles of the dew droplets, and let me quote here, quote, force the DNA molecules into cycles of neutral acidic pH, high-low salts, and wet-dry states. (laughs) Uh, I know that's what you were thinking too, right? PhD student and researcher Alan Inleson said, quote, We have found that dew droplets of acidic water in a primordial CO2 atmosphere could enhance the replication of DNA molecules. Via salt, pH, and wet-dry cycles, the dew promoted DNA mutations and recombinations, creating DNA strands up to 20 times longer than the initial ones. Okay, first of all, it could enhance. Again, this is nothing but imagination. Second, it almost seems to me that DNA swimming in acid would be dangerous to life. And along those lines, CO2 is not really conducive to life either. Do we need to mention that DNA drying out doesn't seem to be a really good idea? Or is DNA kind of like Orbeez, where they dry into a bead and then you could just pour water and they plump right back up? I don't know. And how much salt are we talking about? I mean, look, I like salt. I eat a lot of salt. But even I have a limit. Too much salt also kills life. 
But let's move on here. A few more short sentences to go. The claim, the explanation, the theory is, quote, during the replication cycles in the dew droplets, the initially short DNA molecules heavily mutate and become progressively longer, driven by the peculiar features of the millimetric water cycles. The physical conditions of the dew also induce a selection process on the DNA strands creating DNA molecules enriched in specific sequence fingerprints. <laughs> okay, got that? There will be a quiz at the end. By doing what they're theorizing, it mutates and lengthens the DNA and selects. That's what they're trying to say, because what we absolutely know is that these cycles have the ability to select. Huh. Okay, and finally, the conclusion you've all been waiting for, quote, These findings point towards the dew droplets as the first primordial compartments capable of hosting the replication and evolution of DNA molecules. The lab of Professor Dieter Braun plans to characterize the effects of such dew cycles on a variety of prebiotic chemical reactions, from the abiotic synthesis of nucleotides to the assembly of large RNA complexes capable of self-replication. <laughs> so what do you say now, huh? Got some smart Alec evolution as a lie snark you want to retort with? Now that you're faced with the actual, factual evidence? I didn't think so. So here's the deal. First of all, as all branches of evolutionary science do, they take for granted some things have already happened that evolution has already created to a point, and then they pick it up from there and try to prove their piece of the pie. So in this case, the Big Bang has already occurred, stellar evolution is done, the Earth has formed, cooled and stabilized enough to allow life to begin, and DNA already exists. Did you notice that? The first sentence of the article states, quote, One fundamental question in the field of the origin of life is how the first molecules of DNA replicated and evolved on the primordial Earth more than four billion years ago. The next sentence states that we are at a point prior to the evolution of the cell, but after the creation of DNA and RNA molecules. When you look up the origins of DNA, it basically starts, per their theory, with RNA, enzymes and proteins, right? When you look up the origin of RNA, you get a lot of we think and scientists theorize. But finding anything that claims to know how RNA started is pretty much not possible. And for good reason. They, they have no idea. But this is what we see in this article, too. They have a theory. Their theory is built off of other theories, which are built on other theories, and it's theories the whole way down. And the theories are what they literally believe created all the stuff sitting there just ready to go. So, with the DNA already being there, being the genetic code, the information for whatever is being formed, and with the water and the right conditions already existing, Let's just say that this works. Let's say that they create a model where snippets of DNA use a dew droplet as a quasi-cell, and through a process of replication cycles, the DNA strand mutates or latches onto other DNA strands. Does this prove evolution? Does this prove anything? Not really, no. But their theory is that we're all just a compilation of infinite, random, yet beneficial mutations for millions of years. And then we get humans. But that's nothing any scientist or anyone has or can or ever will observe. But why can't we? We always think of evolution as starting at point A, then progressing to point B, and in a straight line with random mutants dying off, etc., etc., to point C, and then on to humans. But why do we only have one starting point A? 
Why don't we have many starting points, many evolutionary chains of evolving creatures in a variety of states of change, many mutant creatures that are clearly different than the parent that die off or that survive and reproduce? Shouldn't we have Neanderthals today? Shouldn't we have wolf alligator creatures ready to head into the ocean to evolve into whales? Or shouldn't we have whales with very distinct hind limbs because they haven't evolved off of those whales from that line of evolution yet? Shouldn't we have some of the part chimp, part human creatures from yet another line of evolution? You know, like we see illustrated in various <laughs> totally legit, totally scientific magazines and websites. See, even in the theory of evolution, they have to borrow from creation and the Bible and pinpoint everything back to a starting point, singular, and then evolve it along a straight, single timeline. When God created, he created space, matter, and time. And time, from the human viewpoint, is a single, linear thing. We have one timeline, and we go from point or millisecond zero to today. And that's it. That's exactly what the theory of evolution does, but with absolutely no rhyme or reason or explanation as to why life has a single starting point. They give you the Big Bang, and okay, following their logic, sure, stellar evolution started at that single point. But it didn't create one sun, one planet around that sun, one moon around that planet. All of that nothing blew up into everything with seemingly infinite galaxies, solar systems, planetary systems, moons, and everything else. Hopefully I'm being clear enough. Think of it like this. You have many pieces of yarn of various lengths. As you know, yarn is made of a bunch of little strings that can be unraveled. You line all of the pieces of yarn up at one end, grab the bunch in your fist. Your fist would be the Big Bang. Each piece of yarn hanging out would be a solar system, let's say, and then unravel the end of the yarn, and each string would be each planet in the solar system. And that's where their concept of all these planets and stars comes from. And that's where they get the idea that evolution may be going on on other planets. If you unravel all of the ends of all of the pieces of yarn, you get a lot of possibilities. That's their theory, as nonsensical as it may be. But what evolutionary science wants us to believe is that we have one strand of one piece of yarn hanging out of the end of all of that yarn, all grasped in our fist, and that strand, that single fiber, represents the one single chain of evolution on our planet. Suddenly they change from a big bang and infinite possibilities to only one single line of evolution on our planet. But why? In four billion years, we only had one evolutionary line? <laughs> okay. So what's going on with this experiment that our article outlines? What will they prove? If it works exactly like they predict? Well, not anything, really. Starting with snippets of DNA doesn't show where life comes from. They're starting with a created component of life already. And regardless of what it does in the experiment, it won't lead to life no matter what you do. Think of it this way. If you sneeze and a big old Luigi hits your monitor, or you fall off your bike and skin your knee, you've left DNA. From the theory presented, were you to snot or bleed in the right place, it could mutate and create humans, eventually. Does that make sense? I sure hope it doesn't. It really shouldn't make sense. But this is what they're trying to prove, because they have no other option. Every branch of evolution and every sub-branch, and every specific area of every sub-branch must prove their small part to be, I mean, not true, but at least possible or plausible. 
but you can't ever put the various pieces together with any sort of logic as the pieces just don't fit together. So if this team proves that they can take snippets of already created DNA and put them in specific conditions and those snippets latch on to other snippets of already created DNA, what have they proven? Nothing. Literally, they've proven nothing. But as I've stated before, they can't abandon this theory, no matter how silly, no matter how illogical, as the alternative, a creator, a higher power, dare I say a god or the god, either can't be real, or for some that profess Christianity yet hold to this nonsense, they can't have God be an all-powerful sovereign God like their Bible tells them. That's not what they want in their lives. So, rather than start with the premise that all of creation exists because it was created by a creator, because it clearly appears to be created, it appears to be in order, and from what we know of the microscopic components of life, there's no way random chance could have done this, not in four billion years, not in four billion billion years, and they all know this, but rather than admit that, they'll theorize about hot acid water in a CO2 atmosphere and replication cycles of drying out and rehydrating, and that's what led to everything. See, that's fine and all, but I think I'll stick with my Genesis 1 and 2, you know, for the basis of life, and then strive to understand the miraculous and awesome creative powers of the one true God. I'd suggest you join me. Or, alternatively, Maybe a little flower seed child is more up your alley. Or, you know, the acid bath thing. Yeah, it's, it's your choice. Well, once again, as I play with my podcast, I want to do something a little different. Again. And if there's one thing I know for sure, this will either work or it won't. Well, as most of you know, coming up faster than seems possible are the midterm elections. These are important from a Senate and House standpoint, but don't underestimate the importance of the local elections. Now, I think it's probably clear if you've listened to even one segment of one episode of the Logical Christian Podcast, I'm a conservative. I make no bones about that, but in reality, I don't like either party. I mean, there are a few on the Republican side of things that are solid. A few. Most of the Republicans are somewhat conservative, but also somewhat spineless. As for the Democrats, well, this may not win me any fans, but I'm not really on here to win fans. I think a vote for a Democrat, any and every Democrat at this point, is evil. I mean, just think that in the last presidential election, the Communist Party USA decided not to run a candidate for the first time, and I'm not sure how long, saying that Biden was good enough. Just vote for Biden. That should tell you something. Or how about September 5th, 2012, when at the Democrat National Convention, three times the chairman called for a voice vote if they should include God in their platform. Three times, per the video, the nays and boos clearly won. And yet the chair, afraid of how that might appear, passed it along anyway. Two more boos and hisses. I maintain that the Democrat Party is no longer a party with a love for country at least somewhat faith-based worldview, just a different philosophy as to how to get to a better world for everyone. Now, at this point, I don't know how we can conclude that they're anything other than evil. And I'm talking literally evil, not just, oh, I don't like what they stand for. No, I believe that what they're literally advocating for now is evil. What blows my mind is how many supposed Christians still think 
that Democrats are the party best suited to run this country, to set the direction of the country. Hopefully that's not you. If it is, I want you to listen in to the next few Friday episodes where I want to break down the actual party platform of the Democrats. I'm not going to hit all of the minutiae, but you need to at least know where they want to take the country. And know that from 2020 to today, there have been some even larger changes, and we'll get to those as we go. So let's take a look at the 2020 party platform, which is the last update to the platform available. When this was made, they stated that the challenges before us, the immediate challenges, were the worst public health crisis in a century, the worst economic downturn since the Great Depression, the worst period of global upheaval in a generation, the urgent global crisis posed by climate change, and the intolerable racial injustice that still stains the fabric of our nation. So this is what they do. Democrats are highly sensationalized, highly emotionally based. This is why the highest poll numbers always come from women. I know that not all women are highly emotional. I know that not all women are Democrats. But in general terms, women are more affected by tugging at the heartstrings than are men. That's why you don't see a bunch of guys getting together to go check out the latest rom-com, right? But let me ask you, for the five points that they stated, have things gotten better or worse? The health crisis. Although I don't really place the blame on either president, a virus, especially a custom-designed virus, will do what it does. So the death count due to the virus is what it is. But did the Democrats sweep in and fix it? Did they actually do anything? They tried and are still trying to force everyone to wear a mask, despite all science proving that masks can't stop a virus. They tried and are still trying to force alleged vaccines on everyone with an arbitrary cutoff of number of employees, and they're forcing our military personnel to take a vaccine despite their objections. Just shut up and do it. They've changed their definition of vaccine, changed the definition of effective, and changed the definition of safe, and still want to force emergency use authorized new technology on everyone, because the fully approved version doesn't exist anywhere in the world, that experts across the country say shouldn't be used. But even with all that, did they do anything? Did they save anyone? I maintain that at best, it's inconclusive. There's no way for them to know for sure, but when you look at some of the Nordic countries of Europe, some of the African countries where they didn't lock down and they didn't vax up, they seem to be doing better than all other areas of the world, including the United States. They've also fought to keep hidden emails, data, clinical trials, and investigations that have to do with the origin of the virus and the development of the so-called vaccine. Why? So, is this better or worse? As for the worst economic downturn, um, okay, well, you know, because of the lockdowns, right? I mean, those, what, 500, 800 days of 15 days to flatten the curve, they kind of took their toll. And let me ask you, look around. Is the economy better or worse? We have record gas prices. We have shortages on the shelves. We have supply chain problems. We have low unemployment because we have a record low participation rate. People just aren't interested in working anymore because we're paying them to stay home with money we don't have for literally no reason whatsoever. 
What about our inflation rate? You good with your grocery prices? And yet, we're taking money from all classes of people, not just those who make $400,000 and up like they promised, which is still wrong of them, and giving it to Ukraine and to those who have spent too much to get a college degree that's apparently worthless. So, economy, better or worse? What about global upheaval? Under Trump, and I don't really want to make this a Trump versus Biden thing, but under Trump, the Middle East was actually in a period of negotiating with some semblance of peace. We didn't abandon billions of dollars of equipment as well as people in Afghanistan. We don't have images of babies being handed over barbed wire to military personnel as the last hope to give that child a life away from Islamic theocratic rule. Russia sure didn't try anything until the Democrats took over, and China wasn't considering, you know, a little jaunt into Taiwan. Need I go on? Better or worse? Climate change. <sighs> okay, go listen to probably a half a dozen of my past episodes for that, but a couple questions very quickly. If people freeze or overheat or starve to death here or anywhere in the world because we're saving the planet from going up less than a degree, is that worth it? Do the elite that seem to keep buying mansions on the coasts really believe the sea levels will rise? Do our illustrious leaders really care about the environment when they jet all around the world to talk about the climate and the horrors of emissions? And finally, what temperature should the earth be? Do we know that? Or are we just spending billions or trillions of dollars sacrificing freedom, sacrificing security, and sacrificing lives trying to keep the earth at the temperature we're used to it being. And have you ever heard one time that we're making a difference? In fact, we're being told less and less that we have X number of years that's been wrong every single time, and we're being told more and more that it's just too late. So, climate, better or worse? Finally, racial injustice, better or worse? The Democrats have just let people smash, grab, loot, riot, burn, and murder as long as they do it in the name of racial justice. You remember Chaz or CHOP and the mostly peaceful protests? Racists, real ones, black supremacists, and admitted Marxists have been given freedom to push a fictional history into our schools and racist training into our workplaces. We're being told that we must be anti-racist, which is one of the most racist things that this country has seen since the days of slavery. And not only is absolutely everything racist today, the latest one I saw was jumping on a trampoline, I'm not kidding, but we have white people on the political left telling all of us that blacks aren't black if they vote for the wrong person or believe the wrong thing. We're told poor kids are just as smart as white kids, that was from President Vegetable, we're told over and over by the white breads on the left that blacks are just too stupid to figure out how to get an ID, or to figure out where or how to vote, or to figure out how to use a computer. We were threatened by white liberals telling us to just wait until those black people own guns, then we'll be all about gun control, because apparently those on the left believe that blacks are unable to use guns, or they think that if blacks get guns, they'll just kill everything because they're black and just violent by nature or something. While all of us crackers are like, yeah, they need to be able to legally own and use guns too. No reason why they sh you know, shouldn't be able to protect and defend themselves and others. Black unemployment at the start of Obama's term was 12.7%, peaking at 16.6%, and then was down to 7.5% by the time Trump took over. 
Trump took it down to 6.9% overall, even with the COVID debacle, but it had been down to 5.2% just prior to the pandemic, the lowest it's ever been, at least going back to 1973. And that was a drop of 2.3% in 2.5 years. Under Biden, it has continued its downward trend to 6%, but has ticked up just recently to 6.4%. Now, that's a drop during what they're calling historic unemployment rates of only 0.5% in one and a half years. Additionally, the push to defund the police has been unilaterally from the left. And why? Because obviously all police are racist. If you're a cop and you've ever even thought about pulling over a black person, you're clearly a racist. But don't worry, police forces and cities have changed their laws so that we just let blacks go. Not because they're innocent of whatever they were stopped for, just because they're black. And those Negroes just don't know no better. All the while, law-abiding blacks in primarily black neighborhoods absolutely overwhelmingly want police patrolling their streets to help keep them safe. By taking police away, we protect the thugs and criminals, black or otherwise, and put good people of every ethnicity at risk. Finally, we're now hiring people in key positions in everything based on three things. Genitals, perceived genitals, and color of skin. The ability or the skill has very little to do with hiring practices for this administration. So let me ask you, racial issues, better or worse? So that was their premise for their platform. Those were the very important issues they were going to tackle. And I'll leave it to you to read through their preamble if you'd like. It's literally full of lies and spins. For instance, they claim that Trump rejected science while literally enacting the fast-tracking of a vaccine, which should actually be to his shame, and listened to the supposed experts like the emotionally compromised Deborah Burks and that little troll with a god complex, Fauci. They claim that the Democrats are going to fight to repair the soul of the nation. Well, we saw what that looked like when Biden gave his Hitler-esque speech in front of the gates of hell, apparently. Read the preamble. It's simply uh, awful. A bunch of platitudes, a bunch of ad hominem attacks, a bunch of straw men arguments, and entirely full of empty rhetoric. So moving on to the actual platform, what do they say they believe? Like I said, I'm not going to go into great depth on every single point, or at least I'm going to try not to. I just wanted you to understand the direction of the slant that they're coming from. I don't know how many segments I'll need to do. There are only eight Fridays left between now and Election Day, so it'll be eight max. And just FYI. This one will be somewhat longer due to me introducing what I'm trying to accomplish. Future segments will be along the lines of my typical segments. Now, hopefully nobody listening is planning on voting Democrat. But the odds are you know people that are, or you see people on social media that are. I know that not everyone is as, uh, let's just say, confrontational as I appear to be, but, but maybe arming you with their words will help you convince even one person that a vote for a Democrat at this point in our history is quite literally a vote for evil. So let's at least start into their platform, and we'll start where they started, protecting Americans and recovering from the COVID-19 pandemic. As expected, they start, they continue, and they finish with denigrating Trump. Okay, whatever. They say he didn't act, that he lied to Americans. Problem is, that's literally not true. He listened to his advisors and basically followed their advice. 
For instance, they say that, quote, Democrats are appalled that President Trump failed to act on the advice of Congress to maintain strong stockpiles of critical medical supplies, including personal protective equipment, or adequately surge U.S. manufacturing of needed equipment through tools like the Defense Production Act. The resulting equipment shortages endangered millions of lives, including those of our brave frontline healthcare workers and other essential workers. The problem is, as fact-checked true by USA Today, not a right-wing publication, Obama was the one that depleted the federal stockpile of masks and respirators and never replenished them. Now, Trump was told about this in 2019, at some point, after the Worldwide Threat Assessment Report was published in January of 2019. But let me ask you this. With all of the lies of Russian collusion, the alleged and false Steele dossier, the attempts at impeachment, whose fault is it that Trump couldn't focus 100% on the job he was supposed to be doing? Even with that, the stuff he got done was impressive, love him or hate him. As for their claim that Trump didn't use the Defense Production Act, um, no, he didn't, and that's a good thing. He went to manufacturers and asked them to stop what they were doing and produce ventilators. And, I mean, what are the odds? They did it, rather than just being forced through the power of government. He didn't enact that government overreach that should only be used in times of dire crisis, like a hot war, because he just didn't have to. And, of course, Trump didn't rebuild the economy while in the midst of a lockdown and so-called pandemic, etc., etc. You know, he's just the worst. Orange man bad, don't you know? But what did they say they would do? What are their priorities? So their solutions include, and I am not covering every single point, but we're going to hit a lot here, funding local health departments to hire enough people to track and trace all of us. Quote, at least 100,000 contract tracers to help state and local health departments use culturally competent approaches to identify people at risk. They said that they wanted to do free testing, treatment, and vaccines for everyone, rich or poor, insurance or no, legal citizen or illegal, just everyone. They wanted to expand government health insurance by enrolling even more people in Medicaid. And for people that lose their jobs, they wanted to pay their COBRA insurance at 100%. Although both sides are guilty of this, the Democrats feel that the best solution for everything is more money and more control. The spending they proposed here and that they've been doing is evil. They're spending money they don't have, putting us further in debt based on drummed-up panic in order to buy votes. That's what it really comes down to. The long-term ramifications are inconsequential. The short-term is all they look at. And notice the nod to ensure culturally competent. What does that mean, exactly? Aren't people, you know, people? Well, to the left, no. People are not just people. They're demographics that need to be pandered to. To that point, they state that they want to undo the massive decades-long underinvestment in our public health infrastructure, especially due to Trump, and they say that, quote, state and local public health departments should be given sufficient resources to address pandemic diseases and other public health crises through coordinated efforts that are inclusive of underrepresented groups who may be disproportionately impacted. Democrats will support medical and public health research grants 
For historically black colleges and universities, HBCUs, and other minority-serving institutions, MSIs, which are particularly well-suited to research health disparities in the context of COVID-19. Now call me crazy, but this is nothing but two-way racism. Not only are they saying they will intentionally ignore whites, but they're saying that they'll pump money into specific groups solely based on race. I have no interest in utilizing the services of a doctor personally because the doctor is black or white. I have interest in using the best doctor I can find, and whatever level of melanin that person has in their skin, so be it. The civil rights era is behind us. Blacks, or people of color, or women, or minorities, they're literally not discriminated against in this country. The left simply must keep this narrative going in order to keep power over a voting demographic. This is nothing but psychological abuse, textbook gaslighting. They're lying to an entire group of people about how oppressed they are while keeping them oppressed, telling them how much they're helping them. But it's an evil game they're playing with the entire black population. They tell them how bad they've got it. It's worse than ever, and it's the Republicans' fault. And the way to fix it is to vote Democrat. Then the next time election season rolls around, they're told that this is the worst they've ever had it, and it's the Republicans' fault. So vote Democrat. Democrats also vowed to expand unemployment, provide wage replacement, increase food programs, upgrade unemployment systems, extend significant aid to states for health care, education, social services, public and nonprofit colleges and universities, etc., etc. But they will make it conditional on states hiring more people and adding in provisions to protect workers' rights. Read this as money, 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 public sector hiring, public unions. They recognize that small businesses were hit very hard, but then go on to focus on black, Asian, Pacific Islander, and Latino-owned businesses. They vowed to offer grants and loans to the small businesses and, quote, Democrats will prioritize support for black entrepreneurs and other entrepreneurs of color, as well as women entrepreneurs. Um, why? Is, is this not segregation? Shouldn't this be done by need or by size of business or in some manner that helps, you know, people rather than segregating people? Again, this is just racism and sexism. I don't care if a black-owned business is helped. I don't care if a black-owned business is given a larger grant than a white-owned. I do have a problem if the main criteria to determine need is color of skin or type of genitals. And they continue the same pattern throughout the rest of this section. Prioritize race, spend money, spend money, segregate people. And of course, this culminates with them calling Trump the racist for blaming outsiders for the pandemic. You know, like the Chinese in the Wuhan lab, because it's not racist to say that black people need extra help because they're not as good as white people at things. But it is racist to say that a virus that came from a lab in China came from a lab in China. Now, the Bible informs us on the true truth of the two main solutions the Democrats have to offer to recover from COVID, money and segregation and the preferential treatment by ethnicity. First, the Bible tells us that we're all one race, the human race. We all came from Adam and Eve, funneled down through Noah's kids, and out of them came everyone. The idea that we have different races is a Darwinian evolutionary worldview, which at its core is racist. It's anti-biblical, and thus is an evil worldview. To promote the idea that in general life, a group of people needs extra help because they're just not able to compete or understand or do it on their own is racist. 
to constantly look in the eyes of a person who has the skin color of interest and tell them that they're too stupid and here, let me help you, that's racist. That's evil. To tell a demographic of people that the rules don't apply equally to them is promoting inequality based on the fact that you think that they're not able to meet the expectations. That's racist. The Democrats, at their core, have always been racist, are racist currently, and don't show any signs of changing anything in the future. Second, the constant spending of money is evil. Discounting the racial component, if our government wanted to do all these things and had the money to do it, no problem, as trying to help in these various ways is not in itself evil. If we didn't have the money, so we borrowed, but we had plans and the ability to pay back our debts, that's also not evil. But the fact is, we don't have the money. We're borrowing the money. Or really, no one will even loan us money anymore. We're just creating the money out of thin air. We're printing it, placing it in one pocket, then borrowing from that pocket to put it in the other pocket. Further, we have no plan, and we have no way to ever pay this back. Psalm 37.21 tells us, The wicked borrows, but does not pay back. This is evil. And that's where we'll stop for this time with the Democrat Party platform. Over the next few segments in the Friday episodes, we'll move from the short-term plans, like what we were just talking about, to the standing platform positions that they always have, and it will become all too clear that a vote for Democrats is, in fact, a vote for evil. Now, let me close by saying this. I don't believe we should hate Democrats. From our human perspective, we shouldn't wish that any of them go to hell. My prayer is that they be removed from power and that the American population awakens to the darkness in the heart of the entire party. As Christians, we should strive to make known the love of God, the wickedness of sin. We should point out the evil inherent in the party, show them the gospel, the true truth, and the only way to eternal life. As Americans, we aren't trying to create a theocracy. We don't want to do that. It would be a disaster. Jesus will take care of that eventually. But to vote for a Democrat is to vote for the evil they espouse. To not vote against them is to cast a vote for the evil they espouse. We are not only responsible for what we do, we are responsible for what we don't do. So, Hopefully, this will enlighten you as to what the Democrats believe and why we, as Christians, as Americans, simply cannot vote for anyone who believes what they believe, because it's counter to what the Bible tells us, and that simple fact is more crucial to the way we vote than any personal preference we may have. And with that, we've reached the end of this episode of the Logical Christian Podcast. If you've made it this far, the odds are you liked what you heard. I'd greatly appreciate a like, a comment, and a review if you're so inclined. As you likely already know, it all helps with the algorithms. Don't forget to subscribe so you can be notified whenever a new episode drops. And finally, if you found this podcast useful or entertaining, share it with your friends, your enemies, your in-laws, your outlaws. If you want to reach me, you can do so at lcpodcast at outlook.com or increasingly I'll be using at lcpodcast on Getter. Lawrence J. Peter said, Against logic there is no armor like ignorance. But Jesus told us that if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So stay in the word, stay logical, stay faithful, and until next time, God bless.